Good evening, and today we are learning a very beautiful uh, talk from the Rebbe about Vayera, the parasha Vayera. Um, it's quite a dramatic parasha, there's a lot that goes on in the parasha, um, starting with God's promise to Avraham that he's going to have a child. It's actually not the first time that he promised it to him, as we're going to see soon. Um, but God once again promises him that he's going to have a child after he had the bris. Uh, remember, Avram is 99 years old, Sarah is 89 years old, and he's promised that he's going to have a child. Um, uh, there was a whole story, three, uh, three malachim, three angels came to visit him, and one of them told him this promise. And afterwards, two of the malachim, two of the angels went to go and destroy Sodom, and Avram has a very dramatic conversation with God. He's arguing with God. He wants to save the people of Sodom. He does not succeed. And ultimately, Sodom is destroyed. And Lot, his nephew, is saved with his two daughters. Um, and the story continues with Lot and his daughters, etc. And then finally, we have a situation where Avram and Sarah, Avram's entire family, they go and they travel down to Gerar, to the Philistines. Not the Palestinians, the Philistines. Palestinians didn't exist till 1967. So the Philistines, he went down to the Philistines and the king Avimelech, uh, they ask, who is this beautiful woman, Sarah? And so Avram, who was already a pro at this, he says, it's my sister. And so the very, very moral and wonderful Philistines, they take Sarah, they take her hostage. Sounds familiar? We have another hostage story. And this time the hostage story turned out a bit differently, although the end of the day it was a happy ending, but it was a little bit of a different type of uh, maneuver, which we'll talk about soon. All right, but let's get let, let's first give a bit of a preface uh, to get into the whole idea of what this uh, talk from the Rebbe is about. The talk is from 19... How are you, Bill? The talk is from 1982, approximately, yes, 1982. So when was the first time that God promised Avram that he's going to have a child, that he's going to have kids? So the first time that it comes up to the Torah is, in fact, in the beginning of Parashas Lech Lecha. God says you're going to have children. Um, there is the possibility... All right, anyway, so God tells him he's going to have children. However, uh, chronologically speaking, um, the first time that he was promised that he's going to have a child was by the covenant of the parts. Uh, according to many opinions, this actually happened after the, the story of Lech Lecha. It happened before the whole instruction of Lech Lecha. We're not going to get into the details of that. But anyway, let's talk a little bit about the covenant of the parts. What happens over there? So let's see. Um, a. So this is from last week's parsha. What was the promise? After these incidents, the word of God came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, Avram. I am your shield, your reward is exceedingly great. Avram replied, God, what will you give me since I am going childless? The steward of my household is Eliezer of Damascus. Avram said, you have given me no children. One of my household will inherit me. The word of God came to him saying, this one will not inherit you, but the one who will spring from your innards will inherit you. Um, God took Avram outside and said, please look heavenward and count the stars. If you are able to count them, he said to him, so will be your seed. Avram believed in God, and God considered it his righteousness. God said to him, I am God who brought you forth from Ur of the Chaldees, Ur Kazdim, to give you this land to inherit it. Avram said, God, how will I know that I will inherit it? 
Take for me three heifers and three goats and three rams and a turtle dove and a young bird. Avram took all of these from God, for God and split them in half. He placed each part opposite its other half, but he did not divide the birds. So why did he split them? So I'm, I'm not going to go through all of these uh, things here. We're going to skip to source number two. But the basic idea here is that God and Avram are having, are they making a covenant? So they, so God tells them, take these animals and split them in half. And God and Avram are going to pass through these halves. Um, this was a way of making a covenant which represented the idea that two people are becoming one, two entities are becoming one, connected, committed to each other. And during that time, God promised Abraham that his children are going to inherit the land and that... Um, that uh, at a certain point they're going to be afflicted, they're going to be enslaved, but eventually they're going to be redeemed, they're going to become very wealthy, and they're going to come back to the land of Israel. So we see here that there's a very direct promise to Avram that he's going to have children. Um, from the time that he had, from the time that God, when God promised Avram that he's going to have children, the first time that he promised it to him was when he was 70 years old. When did he eventually have a child? And this year, this week's parasha, we learned that it was 100 years old. It took about 30 years, right? Okay. So now, let's... Uh, so, so the parasha goes like this. It starts off with the story of Avram right after his bris. He's standing by his tent. He's trying to find uh, guests. And the guests come. These are the three angels. And they promise him he's going to have a child. Sorry hears about it, etc. Then there is the destruction of Sodom. After the destruction of Sodom... Avram moves away from that area and he goes down to Gerar, which was the land of the Philistines. Let's look at source 2. Avram traveled from Abraham, right? His name is Abraham now, not Avram. He got an extra hay in his, in his, in his name when he did the bris. So Abraham traveled from there to the land of the south. Hmm, the south, huh? Gaza. All right. The land of the south. And he dwelt between Kadesh and between Shur and he sojourned to Gerar. Sojourned in Gerar. Avram said about Sarah, his wife, she is my sister, and Avimelech, the king of Gor, sent and took Sarah. What a charming gentleman, huh? He took her hostage. You think she wanted to go to him? Anyway. God came to Avimelech in a nighttime dream, and he said to him, You are going to die because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a married woman. Avimelech had not come near to her, and he said, God, will you kill even a righteous nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? She also said, he is my brother. I have done this with an innocent heart and pure hands. You see what type of a low life this Avimelech was? He's a militant, taking, right? He's, side, he's, he's a militant. He's a and he has, he has political aspirations. And he has... Uh, yeah. Anyway. God said to him in a dream, I too know that you did this with an innocent heart. And I have withheld you from sinning to me. How did he withhold him from sinning to him? We're going to see soon that God afflicted him with a terrible, terrible illness. All of the holes of his body became stopped up. They closed. He couldn't go to the bathroom. He couldn't defecate. He definitely couldn't do what he was planning on doing with Sarah. And I have a little secret for you. It wasn't just Avimelech that was afflicted. It was all of his, quote, end quote, innocent women and children in his household. Yeah, every one of them. All righty. 
So God tells him, yeah, I know, I know you're innocent. I know that you thought that she was not a married woman, etc. You're doing everything by the book, right? I know, I, I know that you did it with innocent heart, and I have withheld you from sinning to me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Return the man's wife, because he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. In other words, God is telling him, uh, we'll see Rashi in a moment, but if you do not return her, know that you will surely die, you and all that is yours. Rashi, because he is a prophet, he knows, Abraham knows you haven't touched her, therefore he will pray for you. Why does he need Avram to pray for him? Because he's stuck with this horrible, horrible disease, which he got for doing something he didn't mean to do, right? Right, uh-huh. All of these wonderful, he went according to international law, what do you mean? International law. If the woman is not married, you could take her, right? Isn't that international law? Oh. Right. The, the source of all morality in the world. I got to tell you. If we're looking for morality, we just have to look at the UN. Okay, let's continue. Avi Melech arose early in the morning, and he summoned all his servants, and he spoke all these words in their ears. The men were very frightened. Avi Melech summoned Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? What have I sinned against you? that you have brought upon me and upon my kingdom a great sin. You have done to me deeds that are not done. Uh, in parentheses, please, please, ceasefire, ceasefire, come on, please. All right, Rashi, deeds that are not done, listen to this. A plague that doesn't regularly afflict people has befallen us through you. All openings for sperm, urine, excrement, and the ears and nostrils have shut. He deserves it, huh? He sure does. But here's the poor guy, the poor king, who did nothing but take a woman hostage. He's crying. Avimelech arose early in the morning and he summoned all his servants. Okay, let's continue. Avimelech said to Abraham, why did you do this? Avram said, all right, all right. You, you want to know why I did this? You want to know why I mentioned, why I claimed that she is my sister and not my wife? For I said, surely there is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Rashi explains actually, what was, what was the thought process? Said, you know, when I he says, usually when you come to a place, what, what's a normal question to ask? Do you have food? Do you have money? Are you able to buy food? Are you able to take care of yourself? Where do you plan on being? What's the first question they ask me? Who's this beautiful lady here? Why else were they asking me this question? What's in your business who this woman is? Now, clearly, if she's my wife, you're going to kill me in order to take her, right? So I have to protect myself. What? The Jew always has to be the honest guy. Right? The Jew always has to say the truth. The Jew always has to be very, very moral and sacrifice his own security and his own family for some bogus morality? Of course not. Alrighty. Avimelech took flocks and cattle and servants and maidservants and he gave them to Abraham and he returned his wife Sarah. Avimelech said, Here is my land before you. You may live wherever you please. To Sarah, Avimelech said, I have given a thousand pieces of silver to your brother. Well, really, it's your husband, but he said, the one who you claimed is your brother. Behold, it is to you a covering of the eyes for all who are with you, and with you, and with all you shall contend. So what does that mean? To Sarah Avimelech, Avimelech said in her honor, in order to appease her, I have bestowed upon you this honor. I have given money to your brother, whom you said he is my brother. Behold, this money and this honor are to you a covering of the eyes. What does that mean? For all who are with you, they will cover your eyes, they will cover their eyes so that they will not denigrate you. 
Had I returned you empty-handed, they could have said, after he violated her, he returned her. Now that I had to spend so much money, and to appease you, they will know that I returned you against my will through a miracle. As this was a way to preserve, this was a way to preserve Sarah's dignity. That, that people shouldn't say, oh, you know, um, you know, Avimelech had his fun, and now he sent her back. But the fact that he has to go and give a tremendous amount of money to Avram and to Sarah, so very clearly, uh, he wasn't. It wasn't on his own terms. There was obviously some type of uh, miraculous intervention from above um, that forced him to give her back. That means that he obviously didn't touch her. What happens after that? Abraham, just as God said, God said that this prophet Abraham is going to pray for you. Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Avimelech and his wife and his handmaids, and they gave birth. Um, for God had shut every room of Avimelech's household on account of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And Rashi explains they gave birth as the Talmud render, the Targum renders. It doesn't mean they gave birth to children, but they were relieved. Their orifices were opened, and they expelled that which needed to be expelled, and that is their birth. Every womb, what's womb? Every bodily opening because of Sarah through the words of Sarah. Okay. So, uh, as you say, Sarah was taken hostage. God punishes Avimelech and all of his wives and his maidservants. The entire household is punished with a horrible and horrifying uh, disease. When, Av- when Avimelech gives back Sarah to Avram, Avram prays on their behalf. They are relieved and they're, they're, they're relieved from this terrible sickness from this terrible illness what's the next story god remembered sarah as he had said and did to sarah as he had promised sarah conceived and bore a son to abraham in his old age at the time of which god had spoken to him abraham named his son whom he had born to him whom sarah had born to him isaac okay now and this happened in close proximity to the story of her, of her, uh, uh, how do you say, her abduction. It was uh, within, I guess, nine months, you know, around that time after she had been abducted, which made a bit of a problem. What's the problem? And don't think that no one said this. In fact, it was a common um, conspiracy theory peddled by the scoffers of the generation. Let's see what Rashi says a little bit later on in the book of Genesis. The scoffers of the generation claim that Sarah conceived from Avimelech because for years she hadn't conceived from Avram. Right? And like they, they made one plus one equals two. They, they did this, you know, they, they figured out the math and they said, hey, it makes sense that she, would, that, uh, that she conceived from Avimelech and not from Avram. What did God do? He made Isaac's countenance resemble Abraham's. And everyone knew that Abraham fathered Yitzchak. <laughs> Yitzchak was a spitting image of Avram. And once that happens, you don't even have to do a paternity test in order to figure out who the father is. And he's a spitting image, he's a spitting image, that's it. This is why the verse says, Isaac, the son of Abraham, for there's proof that Abraham fathered Isaac. Fine. Now this sets the stage for a very fascinating teaching. Rashi says like this, God remembered Sarah. This section was placed next to the preceding section, which is that Avram prayed on behalf of Avimelech and his family, and they were relieved. To teach us, to teach you, that when people ask for mercy for their fellow, when they are in need of the same thing themselves, 
they are answered first. As it says, Abraham prayed, and immediately following it, God remembered Sarah. He had already remembered her before he healed Avimelech. In other words, here we see a situation where Avram prays on behalf of, on behalf of Avimelech in order that it should accomplish the idea of Vayeleidu, they should give birth, which in this context means they should be relieved. However, since he was praying for someone else, he himself, his family, was, uh, was granted the tremendous blessing um, of birth as well. And in fact, that blessing happened even before. So apparently when Sarah was taken by Abimelech, she was already pregnant. No one knew that she was pregnant yet, but apparently she had already conceived Yitzchak. But the, re- the placement of the story in such a fashion is in a way that we understand and we learn from here that when a person prays on behalf of someone else, they uh, receive the blessing first. So now let's go through the, the Rebbe's talk here, the, the Sikha. All right, we are on page 8. God had already... So that was going to say a very interesting concept. Uh, let's read it. God had already promised to Abraham that Sarah would have a son. So even without Avram's prayer for Avimelech, the promise had to be fulfilled. Nevertheless, Rashi points to Avram's prayer for Avimelech as the reason for Sarah's giving birth. He already had a promise. Not only that, the promise is not just a year earlier, when he was, when, after he did the bris. The promise dates back 30 years earlier. God's promise to Avram was given all the way back at the covenant of the parts. As Rashi continues, when did God promise this to Avram? When he spoke to him at the covenant of split parts and told him that his servant wouldn't inherit him, and he gave him a son from Sarah. Meaning, although there had been a promise made years earlier at the covenant of split parts, according to Rashi, it was 30 years earlier, it had not yet been fulfilled. But when Avram prayed for Avimelech, Sarah became pregnant immediately, even before Avimelech was healed. This highlights the power of praying on behalf of others. God had given the promise a long time ago, but it wasn't fulfilled until Avram prayed for Avimelech. As soon as Avram prayed for Avimelech, Sarah became pregnant immediately, even before Avimelech was healed. It's clear that Avimelech was healed straight after Avram's prayer, and Sarah became pregnant even before that. Okay, moreover, even when the request for the other person is for a completely new blessing, while the person's own request is something that has already been promised and is therefore easier to fulfill, we should ask for mercy for the other person first. We learn this from Avram, who first prayed for Avimelech, even though asking for his own blessing would have been requesting something that had already been promised to him. This is how Avram acted before the giving of the Torah. So it is all the more true for us after the giving of the Torah, as love for our fellow Jew is a core principle of the Torah. Which brings us to a very important Jewish, uh, I say, an important Jewish value. When you have the opportunity to pray, when you have the opportunity to take care of someone, something, yourself, who comes first? Me or someone else? So what do we learn from here? That the best way to get what you need is to pray for someone else. Interesting, huh? It's a good concept. Mm-hmm. 
you have united you have to be united to pray to everybody else ah you're saying yeah. a good point to pray for someone else you have to actually care about that person yeah you can't you can't hate that person if, if you want to pray for them <clears throat> okay so the rabbi continues and says something like this when you need something you have an obligation to pray right and what are we telling you no no don't pray for yourself pray for someone else when we need something, we must pray to God and ask for our needs. This is a positive biblical commandment. The mitzvah of prayer, the obligation to pray, is that a person should ask for all of his needs. As a result, one may think that when he and his friend need the same thing, he should pray for himself first, because by doing so, he is fulfilling a mitzvah. And only after this, he should pray for his fellow. Interesting, huh? Is there a mitzvah to pray for someone else? I haven't seen it yet. There's no mitzvah. There's a mitzvah for me to pray for myself. So what's a guy going to say? I'm a mitzvah guy. I'm a mitzvah boy. What's the real mitzvah to pray for yourself? If I need something, I have to pray. Okay, so I'll pray for myself. And then I'll think about someone else. And then the person can even go even further. He knows Torah very well. And he says like this, this argument is further strengthened by the Talmud statement that your life takes precedent Precedence to your fellows. What does that mean? What is that? Uh, what is that Talmudic statement? So, source number four is from Leviticus. The Torah says, "Your brother shall live with you." What does that mean? So, the Talmud above the Metzia is source number five. Two people who are walking on their way, and one had a jug of water. Yeah, they're in the desert, let's say, yeah, and one of them has a water bottle. If both drink, they will both die. As they know that the amount of water that they have, if they split that water, they're not going to be hydrated enough to make it to the end of the walk, the end of the desert, and they're both going to die. If one drinks, he will be able to reach civilization. The other one is going to die, right? So it's a moral question here. Who gets the water? Should they share the water? Or should only one of them drink the water? And if only one of them should drink the water, who drinks the water? It's an existential question, not huh? life and death. Ben Petura said, Better they both drink, and one doesn't see the death of his fellow. Ben Petura holds, It's better for both of them to die than for one of them to survive and the other one to die. <clears throat> Rabbi Akiva taught, he said, No, I, I, he, no Rabbi Akiva says like this, Ben Petura, I understand the, the feeling here, I understand the, the, the spirit of your, of your suggestion. However, we have a verse. What does the verse say? In the Torah, the Torah say, your brother shall live with you. As who's for sure, who for sure has to live? You have to live. If you are for sure going to live, try to save the other guy as well. But if you're not going to live, you don't have the obligation to, to, to save the other person. This means that your life takes precedence over your fellow's life. So if a person, if, if heaven forbid, two people are in such a situation where... The first, you have two people, right? A and B. A has the water bottle. The water bottle belongs to A. It's not like they both find the water bottle and they're fighting over it. No. A has the water bottle. It's fair and square his. For whatever reason, they're on a journey. And at this point, in Mr. A's water bottle, there's only enough water for Mr. A to drink and make it to civilization. If, B, if A and B are going to split the water bottle, both of them are going to die. So at that point, Rabbi Akiva says that A has the obligation to keep the water, drink the water, 
and reach civilization, even though B is going to die. That's the Torah, the Torah instruction in such a situation, right? So it turns out when there is, uh, how do you say, when there's a question, your life or another person's life, it would seem from here that your own life comes first. So now let's apply this back to prayer. A person is faced with a challenge. A person is faced with an issue. He's missing something. He needs a certain blessing. He has to pray to God for that blessing. He also knows that his friend also needs to have a blessing. He thinks to himself, hey, one second. First of all, first of all, for me to pray for myself is a mitzvah. I'm a mitzvah boy. Number two, when it comes to life, what comes first? My life comes first. And therefore, I should pray on my own behalf first. How do you argue with that? Well, if he has the water, so you have to pray for his friend because he no, 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 no. The the, the, don't, don't get stuck on the water story. The water thing is just in order to illustrate yeah. that there is a Torah instruction. That, in other words, when you walk, you want to, when you want to talk about Torah morality in general, every time that we have to make a choice, there are there are different choices one can make, right? How do you decide what to choose? Based on certain considerations that you take into into account, right? Yeah. It all depends on the type of considerations you take into account. That's how you're going to make your choice. So, what's the job of what's the, what's the job of morality of morals to tell you what to take in consideration and what not, right? Mm-hmm. So, what's the Torah saying? That the moral, uh, how do you say the halacha is. The law is that if you're faced with a situation where you can only save yourself and you can't, but if you try to save the other one, you're both going to die. God instructs you to save yourself. In other words, God is saying this is not considered selfish. Or the issue is not selfish or selfless. God is saying this is the right thing to do. Without God saying that, we wouldn't know that. In fact, Ben Petura, who was a tremendous uh, Torah scholar, apparently, he thought differently. But Rabbi Akiva said, but I have a verse that tells me differently. Rabbi Akiva didn't make it up on his own. Rabbi Akiva didn't say, oh, I feel this and I feel that. You know these people that make up their own anima amins? They make up their own beliefs, their own morality, their own, their own ethics, right? Their own ethic of like, oh, you can't shoot a person even if they're coming with a Molotov cocktail against you and all of that uh, garbage. So, so, so what's the deal here? Rabbi Akiva says the Torah tells me that I have to think about, I have to, I must survive even if the friend, my friend is not going to survive. So that's a Torah value. So let's, now let's comport this, right? Let's comport this to our issue over here. I'm faced with a challenge. I need to have a certain blessing and I'm, I need to pray to God. And I know that my friend also needs to have a blessing. So I might think that based on, number one, the fact that praying for my own needs is a mitzvah. And the fact that when it comes to existence, the Torah says that my existence comes first. So maybe when it comes to prayer, I should pray for myself first as well. So the Rebbe tells us this is why the Torah tells us the story of Sarah and Avimelech and Avram. And the Torah says in such a way that a promise from God that he would have children only came to fruition after Avram prayed for Avimelech. Right, let's continue in the Rebbe's words here. We're on page 10, towards the bottom. We are therefore informed that when a person asks for mercy for his friend and he is in need of the same matter, he is answered first. 
This underlines the great importance of love uh, for our fellow Jews. That even when a person needs the same thing himself, he first prays for his fellow. And by the way, let's look at the story of Avram and Avimelech. Whose needs were more important? Avram's desire and need to have a child was much more important than this lowlife Avimelech being cured from his illness, okay? This lowlife had it coming for behaving the way he behaved. By the way, if this is the way he behaved with Sarah, who knows how many other families he destroyed, right? This guy is uh, a wild man, right? So he had it coming. So let's continue about him. Avram's personal need was much greater than Avimelech's because he was awaiting the birth of his heir, Isaac, who would be the ancestor of the Jewish people. The verse states, I multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac, meaning that the birth of Isaac was the key to the flourishing of the Jewish people, like the stars of the heaven and the sand on the shore. Nevertheless, praying for someone else is so important that Avram first prayed for Avimelech. So what does that tell us? Let's continue on page 12. Praying on behalf of a fellow is one of those good deeds for which we receive physical reward. Because when we do this, we are answered first. This applies even when a person prays for their fellow for the sake of receiving the reward of being answered first. (laughs) It's interesting. See, once I know that if I pray for someone else first, I'm going to get it. So what's what's the danger? What's the problem? I might be praying for that person in order that I should get. Right? This is not the optimal form of prayer for a fellow because it is not done because he cares for his fellow's welfare more than he does for his own. It is done in order to be answered himself first. Right? Now, we're going to take a little bit of a tangent here. So, so again, you see what's happening over here? We were told that if you pray for someone else, you will get it first. So a person will say, okay, let me pray for him in order that I should get it first. Does that mean you really care about that person? Doesn't seem like it, right? Doesn't seem like that's a very great way of praying. So the Rebbe says an interesting analogy to this. This is analogous to a person who knows that honor. This perkevo it says like this: um, If you run away from honor, honor will chase you. Right. So what's the smart the smart Alec going to say? Hey, I want honor ch- to chase me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to run away. Right? This is analogous to a person who knows that honor chases anyone who runs away from it. So he runs away from honor in order that it should chase him. Right? Clearly, this isn't what running away from honor really means. Right? Run really, away running away means you really shouldn't want back. the honor. Huh? Run away, but you're looking back. Oh, <laughs> you know the joke. Because once a guy comes to the rabbi, he says, Rabbi, the prekeh vote is not true. He says, What happened? He said, Because, you know, it says that uh, if you run away from honor, it chases you. He says, I run away from honor all the time. And it's not chasing me. She says, the problem is you're looking back to see if it's chasing you. So when you're looking back, honor sees that you really want it. Anyway, so let's get back to the prayer issue. So God says, so the, the, the Rebbe continues and says, fine, that's okay. Go and pray on someone else's behalf in order that you should get it. Even people who pray for their fellow with an ulterior motive are still answered first. The motive notwithstanding they have still prayed for their fellow. 
Their fellow has benefited from their prayer, and for their fellow's needs, the motive makes no difference. Right? When you pray for someone else, so you're praying for them, that God should heal them, give them money, whatever it might be, give them joy in life. Do they care what your motive was for the prayer? They don't care. Right? It's your problem that you have an ulterior motive, but it's not their problem. On the contrary, they benefit from it. The more that others pray for you, the better. This is comparable to the mitzvah of charity, of tzedakah, where the important thing is that the poor person should receive their needs, and the intention of the giver makes no difference. You know how many people tell me, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I don't want that people should know that I give, and I feel too proud when I give. And you know what the answer is? The one who gets the money couldn't care less how proud you feel. They need the money. They need to put food on the table. They need to pay the bills. The fact that you feel proud, that's your problem. You should still give the money, and you still give the money, and you still get the mitzvah. This is expressed in the Talmud statement. If a person lost a coin and a poor person found it and used it to buy his needs, the loser is given the credit. Even though the poor person found it without the loser's knowledge, he has fulfilled the mitzvah of charity. The one who lost the dollar, he lost the coin, he did a mitzvah of tzedakah. Why? Because a poor person found it and was able to pay, pay the bill. Was able to put food on the table. As the Baal Shem Tov said, purity of intentions isn't of critical importance in the case of charity. It might be important in other situations, but charity, with stoka, eh, I don't care what you're thinking, I don't care your motive, I don't care what your, your intentions, just give. However, the ultimate form of prayer for one's fellow is, of course, when the prayer is made with genuine love for the other person to the extent that someone else's benefit is more important than one's own. Okay, so what, what do we come away from this with? That from the story of this week's parasha, where Avram prays on behalf of Avimelech, and as a result, his wife Sarah has a child. So we learn that when you pray for someone else, even though that person is a lowlife, and that person, what he needs, can't compare it to your own need. And even though praying on your, for your own needs is a mitzvah, and praying for your own needs, you know, as your life comes first before others. Still, when you specifically make the effort to pray for someone else, that benefits you. Now the Rebbe continues and says, from next week's parasha, we also learn a similar concept, but not with regard to prayer, but with regard to action. Next week's parasha, parasha's Chayi Sarah, so Sarah passes away, and Avram buries her. And then Avram gets very busy trying to find a wife for Yitzchak. His son Yitzchak was already 40 years old. He was a big boy. Okay? So Avram is uh, trying to find a wife, a shidduch, a match for Yitzchak. All right, so he sends Eliezer, his servant, and he gives him a document basically saying that all of his possessions are going to go to Yitzchak and therefore people should send their, their daughters to marry him, etc. All long story. Eliezer finds Rivka, and they come back. Rivka comes back to Avram's home. And as they come back, let's see in the source number six. Isaac was coming from Be'er Lachai Rohi, for he dwelt in the south country. Now, why was Yitzchak coming back to Avram's home from Be'er Lachai Rohi? Where's Be'er Lachai Rohi? Be'er Lachai Rohi was a place that was named by Hagar. We learned in last week's parasha when Avram married Hagar and eventually Sarah caused her to run away. She ran away and she was by a, uh, 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 she by a well. 
And several angels came to speak to her, and they told her to go back to Avram. She's going to have a son, Yishmael, etc. So she called this well, Be'er Lachai Roi. The, the well in which I saw the living God, right? I saw Malachim, I saw angels. <clears throat> so um, so then, so she came back to Avram. She had Yishmael. But then, we're going to learn on this week's parasha, actually, that, uh, that eventually Avram and Sarah banish Hagar and Yishmael from the house. She was banished. Where did she go? To Be'er Lachai Fine. Next week's parasha. Sarah passed away. Avram sends Eliezer to find a wife for Yitzchak. When they come back with Rivka, what was Yitzchak busy doing? He went to Be'er Lachai Why? says Rashi. From Be'er Lachai he went to bring Hagar to his father so he could marry her. Yitzchak saw that his father was alone. And he wanted his father to have companionship, to have a wife. He already had a wife. The concubine, Hagar. So Yitzchak felt it was important to bring Hagar back to the house. Sarah passed away. Now Hagar has to come back. And in fact, Avram married Hagar and had many children with her afterwards. Whom he ended up sending away towards the east, etc. But Yitzchak went to go and, and help Avram get married. Right? Hmm. Um, what do we see from here? was praying, and then he. No, not just that. Avram did everything he could to help out who? Yitzchak. Yitzchak should get a wife. Yitzchak did everything that he could in order to help out who? Avram. Oh, they both helped out each other. They both ended up getting married. Yitzchak didn't go to look for a shidduch for himself. Yitzchak didn't look for a wife. Yitzchak looked for a wife for Avram. And he ended up getting married. He ended up finding a shidduch. Mm-hmm. Avram didn't work on his own shidduch. He didn't work for his own companionship, his own marriage. He invested himself to figure out something for Yitzchak. And what ended up happening? Hagar came back. And he had more children with her. So what do we see from here? A beautiful concept. Not just praying for someone else. Do something for someone else. Go and help out the other person. And when you're able to help out another person... You will get it as well. You will get the, the special blessings as well. Yeah. Source number seven um, is actually, a, 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 how do you say, it's a, an excerpt from a letter that the Rebbe sent to a woman. Um, her name was Shifra. Shifra, um, in, in, I, think, I think it was in the Six-Day War, her husband was killed. Her husband was a soldier. She was a Chabad woman. He was, he was a Chabad Chassid. He lived in Kfar Chabad. And he went to the front and he was killed. And uh, obviously she was devastated, devastated. But a few days after the war, a few weeks after the war, the Rebbe sent her a letter asking her to volunteer to go and visit and help out the, the widows and the, and, the, and the orphans of other chayalim, of other soldiers that had died in the war. And they started a tremendous organization um, helping out widows and orphans uh, from, from soldiers that had been killed in war. And the Rebbe, and, and, and she was very she, day and night. She was busy with this, going visiting them and doing uh, doing events, making sure that on the holidays they should have visitors. Um, she arranged bar mitzvahs, huge bar mitzvahs, in Kfar Chabad for the children of, of, of these you know for these orphans. Um, and not only that, she would go and visit people, and she would get letters from them to the Rebbe, and she would bring it to the Rebbe. The Rebbe would answer each and every one of them. The Rebbe, you know, the Rebbe didn't just talk about Israel, etc. The Rebbe was involved in every widow and orphan 
they sent a letter to the Rebbe, they would get a letter back from the Rebbe. The Rebbe was very involved in all. I, I saw it's printed in the Rebbe's letters. And you don't you see don't, you don't see the names, but you see very very like you know a woman is wondering should she get remarried and should uh, things about her children, education, how to make money and things like that. And the Rebbe is getting involved in every single detail, and the Rebbe wrote to Shifra many letters, and here is an excerpt from this letter. Source number seven. You are fortunate to have merited to successfully lift the spirits of so many Jewish women, daughters of Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, who lost their husbands. Our sages say that one who prays for their fellow is answered first, so God will certainly raise and strengthen your spirits. All based on this concept, that when you care for someone else, when you pray on their behalf, when you do everything that you can to help them out, you yourself benefit from it tremendously. Is this Shifra still famous now? Um, she, she's around. I mean, in other words, the organization has, has shifted. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, it shifted more to terror, terror victims, etc. have some websites that, uh, <coughs> that I know my wife read it a lot. For, I don't know. I don't know if she has a website. I don't know. Um, I just want to end up with a story. I'm not going to say the names of the story, but I do know the names of the people that, uh, that the story happened to. Um, there was a, a couple that lived in Crown Heights in Brooklyn. This is approximately 1990, 1991, something like that, early 90s. Um, so they lived in Crown Heights. They didn't have any children for many years, maybe close to 10 years, a little less, something like that, well, a lot of years. And it was Hanukkah. It was Hanukkah 1992, I think. It was Hanukkah, and, um, and there were two couples that came from Israel to New York, for Hanukkah. They were coming to visit the Rebbe. Um, they didn't stay in a hotel. They stayed by this couple's home. Okay? So there's the Crown Heights couple who didn't have any children. And these two couples came to the Rebbe. These two couples, um, one of them did not have children. And they were coming to the Rebbe to ask for a blessing for, ch- for children. The other couple, they had a child, but they wanted more children. So they wanted to... Fine, they came. They were planning on being there for about 10 days, a little longer, maybe two weeks. So in those days, Sunday was the day that you were able to go online in 770 and, and see the Rebbe, the Rebbe would give a dollar. You are able to ask for blessings, whatever. The first Sunday that both couples were there, afterwards when they, were, when they came back to their host's home, their host was not home. They, they were eating by the table and they were like comparing notes of when they went by the Rebbe for dollars. And both of them felt, they asked the Rebbe for a blessing and the Rebbe gave them a dollar, but they felt that it, something didn't click. It wasn't, so one of them was a mentor in one of the yeshivas. He said, you know, I have an idea. I have an idea. Our host does not have any children. They weren't blessed with children yet. How about this? Next week Sunday, when we go by dollars, the only thing we will have in mind is our host family. The host couple. That they should be blessed with children. We're not going to think about ourselves. We're not going to ask for ourselves. And that's what they did. They went by dollars. I don't know if they said something to them, but the point was that what they had in mind the entire time was their host family, that they should have children. Nine months later, all three couples were blessed with a child. When you pray for someone else, when you care for someone else, you get what you need. And they also get what they need. But that's that's the way. So, so what, what's the lesson we can learn from here? The lesson is like this. Very often when we're faced with a challenge, we're faced with a problem. So 
we, we many times we retreat into ourselves. We recede into ourselves. We get very self-absorbed. We think about ourselves. I can't think about someone else's problem. I have my own problem. What is Avram teaching us? What's the Torah teaching us in this week's parasha? That's not the strategy. <coughs> when you're faced with a challenge, don't become selfish. Don't be, it's not even selfish. Don't, don't recede into yourself and forget about the world. Don't shut yourself away from the world and wallow in your own misery. On the contrary, see, is there someone else that needs help? Is there someone else that needs a blessing? Is there someone else that can benefit from my prayer? Think about another. And then you're opening up all of the opportunities for God's blessings to flow to yourself as well. May God Almighty help us that all of our prayers should be answered and all of those that are in need of blessings should have blessings. We should care about each other, care about another. And may God Almighty help us that we should have everything that we need in a happy and healthy way. Shakur, good lesson. You like it, huh? Yeah. So do I. So do I. <coughs>